You are listening to the 1830 Podcast Network. Find us easily by searching 1830 Podcast Network directly on the Apple Podcasts app, Google Podcasts app, or Spotify app. Also visit us at facebook.com forward slash 1830 Podcast Network for more information. Good day and welcome to Musings with the Ministry. I am Stephen Kimball here in Phoenix, Arizona with our brother and apostle Joel Yates, a good friend of mine, and uh, looking forward to having a conversation with our brother. Uh, I've got to spend a lot of time with my brother, obviously living in Phoenix over the years and at church camp, but I must say one of my first memories of my brother Joel was, uh, I want to say it was 1988, and he may you may remember better than me, Joel, but... Uh, I think I'd come out to be baptized here in Phoenix, and, and my brother and I, and Joel and Bob Hedrick, uh, who are significantly older than my brother and I, uh, took us out to the, uh, we, we didn't go up, there's a mountain here that was famous that was called Squaw Peak at the time, it's changed, but they decided to take us up the back way and warn us about snakes and scorpions as we got halfway up. But uh, it's one of my first memories of my brother doing that and, and really enjoyed my time with him. But Brother Joel, please say hello. Hello. It's good to be here today and and uh, have the opportunity to visit. Joel, uh, as, as you know, we've as you've listened to other these different musings, you never know where this might go. But I want to start today... Uh, with uh, with talking about your baptism, one of the things that uh, I love to hear about are people's uh, testimonies of their baptisms. Well, first, I want to just thank you guys for putting this podcast on. I have uh, listened to, I think, the majority of them and have really uh, enjoyed getting to know people better. And and uh, and I, I think it's a blessing and I think it's a good thing. Um little backstory on on my baptism I uh, I was pretty young when I was baptized I had listened to David uh, Rudd talk about his baptism being a kid it made a lot of thoughts in my mind but um, I had to go back and I, I tried to remember exactly the when and, and I'll, I'll admit that I looked at I had talked to Gordon and looked up the date I was baptized on July 7th 1974 at that time, I was nine years old. Um, bear in mind, I grew up in the church. And, you know, even as a young person, I, I felt the Spirit of God um, moving. Um, I, didn't remember, uh, I didn't remember a lot of things as I tried to ponder back that far. But talking to my father, he told me that I was kind of relentless. I just kept telling him I, need, I wanted to be baptized. Um, as I've gotten older, I'm not really a fan of baptizing kids. And there was this point where I wondered if, um, if that was a good thing for me. Um, then I listened to what David said and something that I still am a little, I'm quite hesitant to do uh, to someone that young. And yet that's where I was. So um, I had had to ponder that. The only thing I can say is that I have felt that when I look back that I was really sincere. I was sincere when I took that step. I just had no idea the full amount of what it meant. And yet I can look back in my life and I see the Lord working in my life uh, 
from that time. I was not afraid to bear a testimony in church. I was not afraid to pray out loud. Um, I, I was involved in those things as a kid, but it was really in my teenage years that the Lord, uh, I started really seeing his hand more fully um, in my life. Uh, one particular experience I just was thinking about today was when the when my grandfather died. It was I think it was 1980. It could have been 81, um, but I'm thinking I was 15 years old. It was it was 1980, I believe. Uh, my grandfather uh, had had been. I was very close to him. He um, he he allowed me to and my cousin John. We went and spent three summers. Uh, up at the ranch up by Heber um, with my grandparents. We stayed up there all summer for th basically three months. We got out of school and and uh, they had trail rides then. We'd, we'd take a trail ride and go up there. We stayed the summer at the ranch. We got very close to my grandparents. And, um, and then somewhere around 1978, I think my grandfather, he had had some strokes. He had a major stroke which really uh, affected, uh, I want to say the left side, but I, I don't really remember, it's unimportant, but it affected his speech. Uh, he couldn't really walk. He was basically in a, in a bed. We could put him in a wheelchair and bring him to church. He went between mom and dad's and Uncle Jim and Aunt Wanda's house. And um, when we got to, you know, and they took care of him, it was a lot of work for whoever had had him. and and not being able to, to talk very easily, um, he, uh, he, he developed a way to communicate. He loved to talk to people. And uh, towards, uh, towards that summer of 1980, uh, my mother had been talking to people about trying to see if we could get him up to the ranch. He wanted to go back up there. And so they made this plan to do it, and, and he heard them talking about it. Somebody asked him, and he said pretty plainly, we are going. He was determined that he would go to the ranch. And um, I remember taking him up there. Uh, we had planned a church weekend up at the ranch for the Phoenix local, uh, pro you know, just about a week after we were going to be up there. Uh, my grandfather had... Uh, it was a hard trip. It was very physically, uh, you could tell physically it really wore him out. But he went up there and, and was able to, to go to the house and, and they had a, a hospital bed set up for him. And uh, we were up there for about a week and then the, over the weekend, uh, the church came up, our church family. And and we had, um, you know, all kinds of activities. There was a lot of, of young people around. And I remember Saturday night, um, I remember seeing the light. His light was on in his room. And this impression, I had this impression I needed to go in and see Granddad and, and tell him that I loved him. But the kids were there that were my age. And everybody, you know, we were goofing around and, and doing what kids do at 15. Um and so I kind of ignored it. And that happened three times that night. And, and I never made it in there to talk to him. And sorry, this is a little personal. He died the next day. It 
one of my big regrets in life that I didn't listen to what I think was the prompting of the Spirit to go and, and remind him that I loved him. But it was also a spiritual awakening. That particular weekend, um, I've been hearing on some of the podcasts of people, Tony was talking about it the other day, that people don't remember sermons too much. But that particular Sunday morning, my grandfather had been asking for members of my family. He asked, he spent the night holding my grandmother's hand. He called for my dad in the morning. My dad came. My dad was supposed to preach that morning. And we were all gathered up one of the canyons there, up Walnut in the shade of the trees, sitting on a rock. And our pastor at the time um, came up and he told us that my grandfather had passed away. And I remember him telling my father, um, you know, I know Hubert that you were supposed to preach, but it's okay, we can do it, we understand. And my father said, no, I think this is exactly where my dad would want me. And so he, he preached probably one of the most important sermons of my life. It was so personal because it was so real. Life and death that day was real. And, and it awoke something in me that was spiritual, um, that completely changed my life. I've never been the same since that day. Um, it was so powerful. And, and my dad talked about life and death and our need for Christ. And, and it was so powerful. Um, and these are the kind of things that happened that from that uh, experience with my grandfather and how powerful that day was and that regret and all those things together, um, the Lord started calling me to change my life. I started looking deeper into things I was doing and, and spending time repenting and changing and, and I just felt him so strongly in me. And so I've wondered, you know, um, about baptism at nine it was early and it was young and but it was sincere at the time it was in a little lake up there in the mountains called willow springs and uh and i remember the day i remember where we were at i remember uh the laying on of hands my grandfather and my dad um and and i remembered also these other experiences as the lord began to bring me along this journey uh the spiritual journey in my life that God obviously has never forgotten that a commitment that I made to him and he's never forgotten me even when I didn't fully understand the you know the depth of that commitment and, and all the struggle it would take it was um, something that he's never allowed me to forget and, and I remember it fondly to this day um, and so those are just uh, some of those experiences that I had in life that, that kind of made, you know, where I felt like God had been working all along um, and made this, made, you know, kind of awakened to me when I was 15 years old to see Christ for what he was and to know that I needed him. Um, and and I, I thank him so much for that because that particular experience was one of those things that, um, I always have hoped that those kind of experiences, that God uses them for spiritual good. I've seen it so many times. 
And, uh, and that's my personal testimony, that the Lord used something that was uncomfortable and sad to me uh, to awaken me uh, to get closer to Him. Yeah, I, I appreciate that testimony, Joel. And, and we talked about, for those of some of you may know, that uh, we attempted to record this a few months ago and my equipment was not set up well. Long story short, but we had recorded this before. But it, it always fascinates me because uh, depending on where you go and what you do is, is I think there's a lot of people that want to question their baptism when they've been baptized. Uh, and, and Joel, to some extent, question it. Being nine, I was 16 when I was baptized. And so... I, I think of, of what you talk about, you know, I, and it's ironic that I was obedient to my mom and dad to be baptized. They wanted me to baptize. I, you know, I just went through the process. And I, too, I remember I was actually, we were living in Oklahoma. I was baptized here when there was a baptismal fount outside the church. Uh, my grandpa was the one that baptized me, Grandpa Hausnick. And ironically, he was assisted by a very young Don McIndoe. Uh, many, many years ago and, and the laying on of hands. But, you know, I, at times I, I, I thought about that baptism, but based on, and I won't get into it, but based on the testimonies and the workings the Lord's had with me, obviously my calling into the ministry and some other things, you know, there, there's no doubt that that baptism was what it was. It was, it was symbolically me accepting the commandments and, and ironically me being obedient to my parents who, who were asking me to be obedient to the ultimate God. Uh, the ultimate parent in Jesus Christ. And so I, I love having that discussion and testimony. And if, if, if anybody's ever questioned their testimony, don't hesitate to reach out to either of us. Uh, I appreciate it. And I, the other part I think that I appreciate about it is I hear some wonderful testimonies about baptisms where they saw the sky open and and and, and just miraculous things that happened at their at their baptism. But, I, I, but it really comes down to the Lord gives you what you need when you need it, if I'm not mistaken. Joel, would you agree with that? Well, I think that that's exactly what I think. I think there are some people that need that. And, you know, my, my mom and dad never pressured me to be baptized. Uh, it was actually the opposite. I was pressuring dad a little bit. I was pushing on him uh, to do it. Um, and I, um, but I, I, like I said, I remember the day, I remember where we were. I can see it all clearly in my mind. Um, and and I, felt, I felt the Spirit of God that day. I felt good. I felt like I had done what I was supposed to do. Um, but, like I said, you can look back, and, and we all do, and, and wonder, you know, well, should I have waited? And, uh, but the truth is, is that sometimes looking back, Really, you can't make the change. All you can do is consider where you know what has happened since then, and and I know that the Lord uh, obviously accepted that effort, and um, even though it was in the mind of a young person that didn't have a full picture, but you know, uh, scripturally, we have some examples in Scripture that have helped me, I guess, with that idea. Uh, Josiah, the great king of Israel that was so faithful, was eight years old when he became a king. A godly king. Eight years old. He was under the tutor, you know, the, the high priest and the priests of the Lord were his advisors and companions. And, and they, they taught this young man 
uh, until he started making big decisions about the time he was 16 years old. But he started at eight. And, and that, that story of Josiah, the, the great king of Israel, the, the righteous man, uh, has been a blessing to me to remind me that I believe that God works uh, with anyone that calls out to him. He doesn't, it doesn't matter how old you are. And, and that is the picture I get in Scripture. Is, is why I love working with young people because I felt it when I was young. It, it, you know, there's others that don't or for whatever reasons or maybe their background or maybe they aren't in church. Um, but I was, and I was around a dad that was always, you know, always in our home. There was teachings. All kinds of people came to our home, and dad was teaching. I was listening to the gospel over and over and over my whole life. And um, it wasn't something that was brand new that I'd never heard of. I had an understanding. Um, I just didn't realize the great challenge of, of being able to walk with the Lord um, through life, um, the, the reason we need to endure. It was yet to find me uh, to really have a full understanding of that. Um, but the, just this working with young people um, through the scriptures, those are, you know, those stories are exciting to me because that's how I felt as a young person that there was a God, that he was living, and that he did know who I was and where I was. And, and, I, and I had experiences as a young person. And so I just know he's there. And so I would, you know, I truly want to encourage anybody that's, that's young that um, God is as close to you as you want him to be. Um, he has never limited um, a person by their age. In fact, he called the little children to come to him. And, uh, and that to me is just, that's a kind of, again, this, it's one of those passions that I have. It's always been for the young people because I felt him in my youth. And I thought, uh, and, I, and I thought he was real all along. And he's shown, he's shown that to me all through my life. So. Now, Joel, just for a bit of clarification, I thought it would be a good question to ask or not question but comment just for those of you who have not been to arizona the ranch would be a uh how many acres is it joel so 80 so almost it's almost 108 acres in the mountains of arizona uh pine trees seven thousand feet in elevation my grandfather um, bought the ranch it was a homestead he bought it in the 1940s and so uh it's actually technically called the walnut ranch because it's it sits on walnut canyon and brookbank canyon where they come together um it's all but to us it's always to our family it's just been the ranch we continue to have scripture theme camps we've had camp for all ages up there many of you will remember but then we call it the ranch it's it's about nine miles out of heber arizona it's about a three-hour drive, give or take half an hour from Phoenix. Uh, you go up through Pace and you go up to what they call the the rim, and up onto just just short of Heber. Uh, so it's it's not a long trip for us, but I know if you haven't been here, you've probably not heard of it. But it, it, it's surrounded by, or not surrounded, but there's at least two or three sides that are national forest. So right? the, it's all it's all national forest around us. There's no private land that connects to it. The, I think the closest building from another property is probably three miles 
close to three miles from our, our property there from the the uh, the the ranch that my grandfather bought so everything around us is is national forest which makes it very peaceful and nice and don't and you I, I thought we crossed somebody's land on the way there no whose cows are those that are running there uh so there there are ranchers that lease um that lease the national forest to run cattle on okay and uh, and one of those ranchers leases the ranch and runs cattle on our ranch to help us out with taxes and things too so okay excellent so joel you mentioned uh when you were giving your testimony uh talking about how sometimes we when we hear sermons, and, and there's several of us that have talked about how we hear sermons, and you don't typically remember most of the sermon, but there's parts of it that you do. And there's obviously lots of exceptions to that. But one testimony I remember you giving uh, over and over, and I think part of it is because I relate to the testimony, but it's one testimony I remember you giving was uh, you, and I don't remember much of it, but I just remember having a similar experience but, and I'll tell you that in a second, but you were, I remember you kneeling in prayer and that there was an evil presence there. And, and as you prayed or something, it, it shrunk over time. Do you remember that testimony? So um, I had a couple of different experiences that are similar to what you're saying, but I think the, the testimony um, that you're speaking of uh, happened, I think it was around 1981. Uh, I think it was 16 years old. We were um, returning from a conference um, with my family, my dad and my mom and two sisters. Um, we would typically stay the night in Tucumcari, New Mexico, the halfway point between Missouri and Arizona. And we, we got a hotel room. I always slept on the floor. Um, and my sisters got one bed, mom and dad got the other. Um, I remember that night as we, uh, you know, we said our prayers, we went to bed and, and, I was right by, uh, at the foot of really mom and dad's bed. I, in fact, I'd been tickling my dad's feet. So I knew I was close enough um, that, um, that I was right there by, by them. And I was sleeping so soundly and, and so peacefully. And I had this experience where I just, I had this sudden feeling of fear. And I could not, um, I didn't know why but it woke me up i opened my eyes and uh and i felt that fear and i was looking at this face and uh it was like human size in my you know and I, not only did i did i see a face but i felt this power um this power that pressed me to the floor and i immediately was alarmed i tried to tried to move my arm and grab my dad. I, in my mind, I thought, if I can just get my dad, he'll help me. And I tried to reach my dad, and I, I couldn't reach him. I was pinned to the floor. I tried to yell, and I couldn't. Uh, nothing would come out, and I couldn't get my dad. And I was in this great dilemma, um, this great dilemma of now what? And I, I realized there's only one place I can go. And I started crying out to the to the Lord with all the fiber of my soul to to help me to deliver me, and and as I started praying, um, I I you know that face began to recede um, somewhere in here, and it you know it's a long time ago, so detail sometimes gets missed, but 
in the middle of this, there was another piece of that experience that I don't want to forget to to tell because it is important. And and it was, um, I had an open vision. I saw saw myself as an older man doing something which was not good. And and I... um, and then, you know, as I was praying, that power began to release me. The face, uh, the face began to recede until it went to nothing, and I was left there in that motel room, kind of shaken. Um, but I, you know, to in order to explain what I think happened is it was really my first experience of true spiritual warfare. Um, I had, I had been in the middle of some spiritual struggles and. Satan knows uh, what's going on in our life. He knows where we've been weak because he tests us also. Uh, not only God, but Satan does. And that's where I was at that point in my life. I had some things going on in my life which were not right. And Satan um, took those things and he showed me in relation to those things that I was struggling with that um, that I would you know, to me, I, I tried to understand this picture that I had seen, and it was so plain that it was me, and that I was involved in things which were shameful, and they weren't right. And I kept asking God, how can he do that? He can't make me do that. And and I was, sometime later, I was in, in church, and we and there was a sermon being preached about the temptations of Christ and how you know, Satan took him up on the mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And, and he said, you can have all these things if you'll just bow down and worship me. And, and, and the preacher said, you know, Satan made him an offer. And immediately I understood that Satan, in the middle of that experience, had made me an offer. That he could give me my heart's, my, my, my lustly desires. He could... He could fulfill them if I would just serve him. And, and this experience was one of those experiences that um, it was my first real picture of spiritual warfare 101. Something that was, it was so real. I saw it with my own eyes in my own, in my own uh, person, in, in my own experience, not only of power that Satan can wield, because he literally pinned me to the floor and he shut my mouth. Um, but also the power of God, which is bigger and stronger. And he was made to release me and leave me in peace. And, and that to me was, it was a real awakening of something behind the scenes that goes on among the children of men. It's partly why in youth camp, I've, then when I had an opportunity to teach spiritual warfare, Um, in youth camp one of the classes that I jumped at that chance because for me it's it's been real since I was 16 years old and I finally could see it uh, in a clearer picture yeah and I I remember that I was telling you I remember that just because I had a a similar experience the short version being that I was laying in bed I remember right where I was at my house in Grandview Missouri and I was laying in bed and felt a strong strong presence and could see a a shape or a form of blackness that was that was standing at the foot of my bed and 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 I was frozen solid I mean absolutely frozen and I remember praying 
uh, I guess you could call it fervently, and, and slowly but surely that presence went away and had no power over it. Always an incredible testimony that I've, I have that uh, the power of prayer and that the Lord protects his, his people. So I uh, do love that testimony. So uh, changing subjects a little bit here again, I, I think one of the things I think we all like to ask is about the, the stories uh, of your callings, what's unique to, uh, to the Church of Christ is that we believe that our ministry are, are, are called of God in some way. It's not a, something that, I mean, yes, we can desire to be in the ministry or choose to be, but we don't go to school. We don't uh, you know, go through any certifications or classes. Uh, to be honest, after you've been called, there's no great training program by the ministry to put you in the right place. It's just you're called and you go. And so we believe in the callings of the of the Lord and, and using his servants to call other men to step forward into the ministry. So with that, would you care? You've, you've actually been called to three different offices, and would you care to uh, run through those? Sure. Well, um in, in June of 1982, um, about a week before my 17th birthday, I was at the Colorado reunion. Um, you've, you know, I've been talking about some of the experiences I've been having in my life. I, you know, I'd made a lot of changes as I had this desire just to, to, um, to be close to God. I wanted to, I wanted to have this relationship with Christ and, and uh, and during that reunion, there were there was an an experience where, um, our, actually it was your grandfather, uh, Apostle Hausnick. He stood up, and I believe it was during the sacrament service on the Sunday of the Colorado reunion, and and he called um, Marvin Case uh, to be an evangelist and Bob Oldham to be an elder. And I was called to be a teacher at that time. I remember him walking over and putting his hands on Bob Oldham's head. And it was so significant because Bob Oldham's testimony was that he had had a dream, that that is exactly what happened in his dream, that, that, uh, that your grandfather um, would wa- walked over to him in the dream and put his hands on his head as he was called to be an elder. And there was a lot of, there was witnesses there that day. I felt the spirit very strongly. Um, And what's interesting is I can't personally remember any of those testimonies that day. I've I've been mulling that over my mind. I wasn't really of the sort to write all that stuff down. Maybe somebody does have it. I remember feeling the spirit. The one thing that I really remember from that day was somebody had called the song, and I think it's 321 in our in our Zion's hymnal, and it, um, uh, and it is, it is well with my soul. I have never forgotten that, as I felt the spirit there so strongly, as that song was was called and sung at the end of that service. Um, at that time in my life, I was obviously scared to death. I didn't know what to do, except pray. So I, I took. A week, and I just fasted for a week after that, and I kept telling the Lord, "I, I've never, Lord, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what you want. I don't know how to do this." Um, and you know, one of the things about callings is, and I love this in Scripture. There's this two-part piece of a calling, and I, 
it's what we believe in the Church of Christ. I think it's so vital. Um, one is that we believe what it says in Hebrews, that no man takes the honor to himself, but you have to be called of God. Well, who determines that? And, and, uh, and so that picture of Scripture, I knew that picture of Scripture. Um, the other part is in Acts chapter 13. And we see the story in, in verses 1 through 3 of Paul and Barnabas being called to the ministry. And they were, you know, the Holy Spirit said, separate Paul and Barnabas. And it was in a meeting of the church. There wasn't even other apostles there, but there were prophets and, and teachers and ministers that were there ministering in the Spirit. And, and the people that were there had this testimony that they had and they bore the testimony that God had chosen those two men to a work. And they laid their hands on them and they sent them away to do the work of God. Um, in times past, I had always heard, well, you need to have your own testimony. I didn't really understand what that meant. Um, I was waiting for, am I supposed to have a vision or a dream? Or I just had no idea what to expect. And although I had a testimony of that service and the feeling that I had there, the church itself, the, the local, accepted that calling as being from the Lord. But I still struggled to know what to do. And it took me about a month, really, of prayer. And I had, you know, I just, the Lord gave me absolute peace. You need to do this. And you need to accept this and be about doing what I've called you to do. Part of that calling that I do remember was, as he told me, to be a good example to the youth. I was a youth, and, and that that was part of my work, was going to be with the youth. Did you say how old you were, Joel? You were I was, 15 I was 16? 16 when I was called, but I, it was a month later. when I, it, was, uh, it was July 28th when I was actually ordained to be a teacher, and I was 17 at that. I just turned 17 in June. And so, um, but that was part of that calling was to the youth, and to, to work with the youth. And the Lord basically let me know, you, you need to get this done. And, uh, and so, you know, tremblingly, <laughs> I, I took up the responsibility and, and accepted the calling and, and was ordained in July of, eight, of 1982. And... And, and worked as a, you know, and did what I could as a teacher. I remember um, kind of the struggle of what to do um, as I got older. Um, I remember trying, you know, asking the Lord. In, in 1985, in, at, in November of 1985, I had been in the middle of a great spiritual struggle in myself. Um, I felt like... You know, I was struggling in my ministry in the sense that I was like, okay, Lord, um, you know, sometimes we want things that maybe we aren't ready for. And, and, um, and I, I started looking at myself and saying, you know, am I doing all that I'm supposed to do and trying to be a good minister? I was still young. Um, but I came, you know, I was in the middle of the spiritual struggle at that reunion and and, and a lot of things happened there, but I was strengthened. And what really came to my mind, and I was given this peace that I didn't care what God wanted me to do. I would be happy to be a teacher my whole life. I would be happy to clean the church, to open the doors. I didn't care. 
I just needed to know that I could serve him in whatever way. And I concluded that at the end of that reunion. It's really how I felt. I just wanted to be part, just wanted to be uh, doing something for God. And it didn't matter what. As long as it pleased him, I was happy. I think that was the spiritual growth that I needed. Um, I needed to have that picture because in February 2nd of... Uh, or uh, in Feb in January at the at the um, at the sacrament service in January of 1986, it was interesting. Um, in 1985, um, my my future wife actually came to the reunion, um, and and we had this you know I had this experience where she. Um, I really wasn't, I, had, I hadn't been dating anybody for about a year and was kind of hesitant to do so um, because I had, in my own mind, thought that I had met the person I should marry and the Lord let me know later that I was wrong. <laughs> and so it hurt. I didn't want to go through that again. So <clears throat> I had been hesitant to get involved with anybody. And, and my wife, Jennifer, kid at the time, came out and... Um, we had visited a lot, but we had some really good spiritual conversation. And and at one point, uh, actually how I found, this is kind of a side, I'm going down a rabbit hole, but it, it plays into the next part uh, of, of the next calling. Um, I um, She had made this statement. I found out one day we went, we did something after with a bunch of other young people, and she we went somewhere to get us to eat ice cream or something, and she didn't have any. And I found out later, she told me that she had been fasting and praying for me because she could see I was in this struggle. And, well, I understood that she liked me. I knew that. As soon as she, I said, there's nobody in my mind, I, uh, you know, this girl must care for me because you don't do that for someone that you don't care about. And so we began a writing campaign. We didn't have uh, cell phones and internet and, and, you know, Snapchat or anything like that. We actually had to physically write letters, and, and I would call her every once in a while. But we started the beginning of a relationship, and we sent a lot of letters. And, and so, and this is November of 1985. Um, in this would be Jennifer Kidd from Missouri. Jennifer Kidd from Missouri. Yes. Yeah, correct. So she lived a long ways away. So um, 1,200 miles, we had to do a lot of writing, uh, put a lot of stamps on, on letters. or And uh, every once in a while, I would get to call her on a weekend maybe and visit for an hour. But we had to pay long-distance rates. So even that was, you know, it was uh, difficult to do that too often. Um but uh, so where this comes into the story, it'll, it'll become apparent here in just a moment. In January of 1986, during the sacrament service, uh, we, had, uh, we had an experience during the sacrament service that I, will, I won't forget. It was pretty, it was pretty important. Um, that particular day, Apostle Hausnick had been bearing his testimony he stood up in the service, and he was actually in the middle of bearing a testimony. And, and then it was just as though someone snapped their fingers, and he stopped. 
and and the first thing he did, if I re, and this may be a little hazy, is to the order, but I believe it was in this order. The first thing he did was he spoke to a sister that had been praying in the congregation about something. And I'm not going to use names here because I don't want to mess that up. But um, anyway, he spoke to her about, you know, in the thus saith the Lord that I've heard your prayers. And he gave an answer to her about her prayers. Um, very powerful because she verified indeed she hadn't told anybody. But she had been praying about these things and God answered her question and then it the you know after that i was called to be an elder um there were seven witnesses that day and i i remember the number of witnesses i you know we felt a very powerful spirit there that day um there were seven witnesses and one of them was my cousin i remember so plainly uh jim yates jr they stood up and and he related a dream that he had seen me in a dream laying my hands on the head doing an administration. And, and he, you know, he didn't only testify to the spirit in the room, but that I was to be an elder. Um, and, you know, that was, you know, not just that, but the other testimonies in the room. It was, it was powerful that day. Um, it was, and so here's where that, the story of, of the letters from Jen um, that's what I call my wife, Jennifer, but, um, I, you know, the next day she had sent a letter earlier in the week, um, to me and it hadn't gotten to me until a day after those callings. And I had been home praying, praying and, and asking the Lord, you know, I, I'm, I, I knew I had had some experiences, but I mean, my experiences were just, you know, you know, the Lord talking to me and through, you know, talking to me and telling me, you know, there's, there's some things that I'm going to want you to do. Um, and I get this letter in the mail and it's from Jen. And we had been talking about, you know, like I said, I'd gone through this struggle. I was just, just came to that point where I just wanted to be content no matter what God asked me to do. I just wanted to be content doing it. And so I get this letter from Jen, and when I opened it up, and there was a phrase in there that said, you know, she said, you know, I've been praying that God would use you to the, to the best and highest way possible in his service. And I, the Spirit just flooded over me. And, and I was like, well, and I even asked her later, I said, did you know that, I mean, did you have a particular... Um, experience she said no i just felt that i needed to write this is what i've been praying for and um that was one of those testimonies that it was so it was so powerful uh, to me that day uh and it and then you know within a couple days i got a i got a letter from apostle robert jensen and uh and he he said in there he said joel i and I'm paraphrasing, I, I, I just remembered the gist of the letter. But he said, you know this, is, this calling is of the Lord. And I encourage you to move forward and accept it and do your duty. And again, I felt that, that powerful, uh, the Spirit of God telling me, this is, this is what you need to do. And so, you know, a month later, um, 
you know, or three weeks later or whatever, February 2nd, 1986, I was ordained to be an elder. And, uh, and so those, and then, you know, I spent quite a few years as an elder. I did a lot of uh, missionary work as an elder. I traveled for seven years up on the Navajo Reservation. And, and I, I, I ran from being the pastor um, of the local in Phoenix. Number one, because I was 21 when, or I was 22 when I was ordained. Um, and that was kind of scary to me. I was pretty young. I didn't really want to be a pastor of a, a lot of older people and a lot of experienced ministers. <laughs> and I, run, I did truly run from it. I didn't want the responsibility. <clears throat> and I always had a good excuse. And then the Lord took my excuse away because uh, at that time as a fireman, I had the ability to get time off. And we were trying to reach out up on the Navajo Reservation in northern Arizona and had quite a few contacts up there. And so, um, and somewhere around 1994, um, I had this experience and the Lord said, you need to put your name in as pastor. And Don and Jade had been asking me year after year, why aren't you, uh, why aren't you available to be pastor? And I always had an excuse. And and the Lord uh, allowed another man to retire and he could pick up the work on the reservation. He took my excuse away. And, and in 1994, I was, uh, it was my first opportunity to actually be the pastor of the Phoenix local. And uh, again, this kind of plays a little story. There was, in my life, there's been these experiences prior to the next calling I received. Um, the first one I didn't say, but it, it actually was told me when my grandfather died. I can remember uh, my dad had told me about an experience that my grandfather had had uh, when I was 15. We were on our way back from the town of Heber after my grandfather died. It was just my dad and I alone in the car. And we were driving back down the road to the ranch and next to a great big meadow. And my dad said, I need to tell you about an experience that your grandfather had when you were blessed as a baby. Well, you know, in the Church of Christ, we believe that um, children aren't baptized. They're, the example is Christ blessed them. And so my dad had told me that the night before I was blessed um, as a baby, my grandfather did the blessing that he had had an experience. And the Lord told him that, that he had a plan for my life and that he would use me in his service and you know I never said anything that was a scary thing I had thought well that's probably when I was called to be a teacher this is it you know later to be an elder well this is it but then other experiences happened um, I had a couple of men um, that had an experience one man had an experience at a conference one year and he pulled me aside and he said Joel I need you to he said I had this experience and I I may not be here when it happens, but you just need to know that the Lord has more work for you to do. And, um, and that was a, a brother from Ava, Missouri. His name was Arthur Smith. And indeed, I think he had passed before um, that time. Later, I, um, I began having you know, these experiences and I kept asking the Lord, okay, I am perfectly content being an elder. Um, 
my uh, sometime in around 1990, um, we went to the Michigan reunion, and uh, while we were there, I I preached. I had we had a, a phenomenal reunion. Uh, I, it was the first one of the first times I had a witness to a calling. Uh, actually, Adam Porter was called to be a, a priest at that reunion, and the Lord had told me two days before that he was going to do that and very specifically told me and uh, three three different times he told me that information and I told no one but I wrote down my experience and it happened just as God told me but during that reunion I had preached a sermon and there was an old elder there in and it was in the Ravana local where the reunion was that year in 1990 my wife and I were there um, and there was an old elder, and I know his name is John. I was trying to remember his last name. I can't remember it, but he told about an experience that he had he had seen uh, when that when I was up there preaching that that he saw a light around me, and 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 he and he was you know told that again you know that that there was that there was a work to do. These things were kind of scary, and I just put them to the back of my mind. Um, when uh, in March of, of 1998, um, just prior to conference, we had heard that, well, Marvin Ely had passed away. And the Council of Apostles at that time told us about an experience that they had had uh, three days. I think he passed on a Monday. It was a Saturday before they had been meeting in the council meeting. And it was a very spiritual service. And during that service, Marvin Ely had, at, at that time there was five vacancies in the Council of Apostles. And Marvin Ely had given five names that the Lord had told him would be in the Council of Apostles. And then um, Brother Moser, and there was witnesses. And uh, you know, when I, uh, I read, actually we had wrote an excerpt, and I, I'm just gonna read it because it, to me it was pretty powerful. But it was the, this testimony from the council minutes as they wrote about this last experience with Brother Ely. And, uh, and that he was the chairman of the meeting, uh, Marvin Ely was. And it says they noticed that the Spirit of God had rested on him and he began to weep. And, and, they, and this is what they recorded. Brother Ely bore witness that he had spiritual discernment concerning brothers Brian McIndoe, Mike McGee, Placido Koyok-Yam, uh, Frank Fan, and Placido Koyok-Matu to be apostles. The Spirit rested upon us as those names were spoken and witnesses were given. And then it says, Brother Alvin Moser bore testimony to the calling of Brother Joel Yates to be an apostle. Brothers Marvin Ely and Smith Brickhouse bore witness to the calling of Brother Joel Yates. Each one present bore witness that the Spirit of God had rested upon us in that meeting, and most of us wept. We had a season of prayer and dismissed for the evening. You know, when we went back for that conference, we knew there was callings, but we didn't know the names. This had happened in their pre-conference meetings. And, and so we didn't know the names. And uh, we went through a, a, this time of the solemn assembly not knowing the names. Um, later, uh, I got these things from later. Um, Monday, 
the Monday before the, the solemn assembly, I'm going to quote again from the, the record of the meeting. Um, we opened it with a hymn and a prayer, and the chairman read the scripture. After some discussion about our concerns for the church and some of our personal problems, we knelt in a season of prayer. It was 11.45 a.m. when we arose. Brother Ely testified of the spirit of the callings of Brother Brian McIndoo, Mike McGee, Joel Yates, Palacio Koyok Yam, and Frank Fan, and he said that Palacio Koyok Matu would also serve in the Council of Apostles. He had barely finished testifying to these calls when, he, when suddenly he asked for administration. Within a short time, he was taken home to his reward. We bear witness that the Lord answered our prayers and that he gave us six names even before Brother Ely was called home. One of the apostles testified in the sacrament service the following Sunday that he was shown Marvin had completed his work, having been an instrument in the hands of God in the calling and witnessing of six others to the apostleship. His labors on earth fulfilled. He was greeted by his Savior, and what a joyous meeting. This was such a difficult conference in the sense that we knew that uh, one of one of the probably the most pious <laughs> godly men that we had known that was always just always had such a good spirit with him he always had a smile on his face he always had an encouraging word um, this conference just um, you know we went there with a heavy heart still not knowing those names and and it was um, I remember Saturday night, um, we had been out at a young people's meeting. The names were going to be revealed the next day. We had just been fasting and praying, and, and somebody had asked me. And in the back of my mind, I still, I knew that this, you know, I, I felt that I understood the day would come that I would be called into the Council of Apostles. And somebody even asked me, you know, do you know the names? And I said, well, I had an idea, but you know, and are you one of the names? And I said, I don't think it's time yet. And I had really hoped it wasn't time. Um, number one, I never felt, I never felt worthy. Number two, my wife was pregnant with our third child. And I understood what kind of responsibility it would be. And I was just holding on that, you know, the Lord would wait. If, if he intended to use me in that capacity at some day, that it would be in the future. And, and the other problem I had is that I didn't feel like I could do anything unless my wife had a witness herself because she was going to be the biggest, um, she was going to suffer just with, I mean, like me with that, with the lack of time together and have to take up raising the kids alone when I wasn't there. And I was so, it just bothered me. It, it concerned me all night. And the next day as the names were read and, and there was my name. And, and I just had, <laughs> I said, well, why Lord, why now? Why couldn't it be later? And um, I was really struggling. And, and, you know, we knelt in a season of prayer after the names and their experience was read, kind of that experience that I just had told, had, had spoken of. I was reading basically what they had read to us. And we, 
we had um, that season of prayer. And after the season of prayer, my memory is, and I listen to my wife's podcast, her memory's a little different, but in my memory, uh, Brother Moser stood up and spoke to my wife and, and felt that he was commanded to do so, that she that he was to tell her that the Lord would, had not done anything but what he had already considered our needs. The needs, her needs, the needs of, of our family, even the needs of the unborn. And I thought, great. Well, you know, he took my excuse away, one of my excuses that my wife had to know. Um, I still labored with it. Even though I had had these other experiences and I... You know, somewhere in my life, I I had had I knew I knew that the Lord was going to use me. I knew that the day was going to come I would be doing more missionary work, um, but I just didn't know the details of when. And again, I was struggling with that that piece of I'm not worthy. I mean, how am I going to do this? I mean, I've I've did four years as a pastor, and it was the hardest four years. Um, there was all kinds of trouble, all kinds of problems that I, and I didn't do, I didn't take care of all of them the best, you know, I was learning, I guess. Um, But it was, it was a really big growing time for me spiritually as a pastor. It was so important in my spiritual growth. But again, I was struggling with that and I was visiting with Brother Brian. And I remember this conversation we had and he reminded me, he said, you know, Joel, um, you know, when the Lord called Peter and James and John, he didn't say, you know, he, he says, follow me. And he says, I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say you are. He said, I'll make you something. And he reminded me, he says, We're, you know, he, you just don't magically become, uh, you know, an instrument in the hands of God. Um, it's something that he, he, he builds you. He makes you something of, you know, of use in the kingdom. And he had to do that to those brothers, and he reminded me of that. You know, you can't expect to, to have everything and have all this knowledge all at once and, and, the, and even know all that you're supposed to do or how you're supposed to do it. And, and so I was, uh, you know, again, I had, and there were so many testimonies that day. It was such a spiritual service. We, we, we went to the, um, the ministers, the apostles and elders meeting, which is part of the what we do in the church if there's a calling to the apostleship or to evangelists. And um, during those meetings, there was many witnesses again. And, and we were, that, that meeting, I've never seen anything like it. We were completely in unity as brothers. Uh, the, the recommendation to accept those callings is from the Lord was unanimous. Um, there wasn't a dissenting voice. It was powerful, and um, and so the four of us a few days later were were ordained, um, and then you know the confirmation. I there was a confirmation that I don't want to miss. It was very special. Um, I didn't know, but several years before the, that those callings, Plasso Koyokiam. So if we're in the our conversation. Plaso Koyokyam was Plaso Koyok Matu's father, who is still living and an apostle there in, in Yobain, Mexico. His father um, was also one of them that was called at that time. And several years earlier at a conference, he had an experience that he wrote down um, 
Don and Jay had been watching him, and and during during one of our song services or a special, I used to love to sing with my brothers. There's uh, Jeff and Donald, and Bob and I, Bob Hedrick and I, Donald Gill. We used to love to sing in a quartet. As I've always uh, worshiping in song is probably one of the most powerful ways of worship. I love to sing. I love my grandmother as a little kid pounded harmony into us. I mean, she wouldn't let you miss the note. I mean, she'd get you on key. And, and I always loved the four-part harmony. And so we would sing uh, every conference, every time we could get together, we tried to sing together. And I just love that. I love being able to, to worship God in that way. And while we were doing that one day at one of those meetings, um, Placido had an experience that he wrote it out after the callings, after we were already ordained. It was like a week later, kind of like what happened with Brother Jensen. It was like this confirmation of something that I already knew and had acted on, but it had another detail to it that I didn't know. And, and he had had this vision, and he saw while we were singing, he saw this golden, uh, and this is from memory. I tried to find what he'd written, but I, I couldn't find it. It's in one of my files somewhere. But he saw this golden rope come down over my head, and he heard a voice, and it spoke in Spanish because that's what he understood, or Mayan. I don't know which one. I think it was Spanish. Anyway, it was information. And, and when Jay trans when, when Brother Moser translated it, it said, you know, Joel will stand in the place of another. And, um, and that was so important because what happened was is that when Marvin passed away, I took his place. I was the sixth one called when there was only five vacancies. And his death left that vacancy, and it was his place that I took. And I did not have that piece of information, um, but it was very powerful because not only did I take his place as the twelfth member of the council, but I took oh, I took his field uh, became my responsibility, the Western United States, and um, it was just a, to me another testimony. After wrestling with the Lord over timing, um, it was that testimony that God actually had a timing. And, and I've seen this so many times, Stephen, uh, throughout my life, that God's timing, he's working behind the scenes. He's already ahead of us in planning things and putting things in motion. And, and he confirms these things throughout different pieces of time that, um, that lets you know, nope, my timing is right. This is what I wanted you to do. And now I want you to do it. And so that's really my testimony and my callings. Um, I just am, like I said, I still, I, I still feel like I'm not worthy. And, you know, my goal is that the Lord continues to make me, uh, to make me into the man, to the servant that he wants me to be, that Jesus Christ would be glorified and not man, because that's the most important thing there is, is for people to see Christ and not us. Well, thank you, brother. I uh, would not be a uh, conversation with my brother Joel if I didn't give him a hard time about being able to uh, speak and 
uh, a very long time. So it's a, it's a trait of the Yates family, and I, I do appreciate that. I, I wanted to break several times, but I never know where to stop you at. Uh, but but I, I remember uh, <clears throat> I remember that service uh, very well, as a matter of fact, and the, the power that it brought. And the, I just remember constantly the fact that there were there were seven apostles at the time and six men were called and as as we sat there in that service it was just an incredible service but you know i think you brought up our brother marvin ely and, and the memories that flood my mind when i think of our, our brother and the times when we were in oklahoma that he would travel as an apostle and stay at our house and and uh the many brothers that have done that it's wonderful but really when i when i heard you talk the thing that i kept thinking about is the importance that's that's been ingrained in me by the lord the importance of my kids hearing the things that you just pontificated on about the callings and the workings of god it is so so important that our kids hear these testimonies and and understand the way we we believe things that 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 we're not a perfect people that we're we're capable of sin that 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 we're no different than those out there in this world today if we don't take the time to you mentioned the struggle i'm not sure the word you use the struggle of serving the lord it's it's indicative of it if you're not struggling then then you're then you're not fighting for the lord in my mind but it's 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 important it's so important that our kids hear these testimonies that have these podcasts now, the, the fans you mentioned writing, I'm not sure I'd, I'd have to explain to my kids maybe what a letter is <laughs> and a stamp is, but it's uh, it's wonderful that we have these things and we talk about them because they, they are so powerful. That service, I could never transplant my kids to that service and, and give them what it was like to be there for that uh, that conference, but I, I wish they could feel that, and someday they will feel that if they haven't already, but just, it's wonderful stuff, so uh, I'm a very appreciative of that. Brother Joel, I, I uh, of course, also thinking of Marvin Ely, I, I am an observer of person, people. I love to watch people and see their, the way they act, their reactions, uh, um, the way they live life is, is an example to me, and and not to give my brother a big head or anything, but you know, one thing for all of you that know him, and I know most of you know him, that when he walks in the room, you can't help but smile and have joy in your heart. And his wife Jenny too, but um, you know, and that 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 purely is from that love of God that he possesses. I have no doubt about that. But you know, I can't see or think of my brother w- without thinking of those things, and and to watch him react and and move around a room and see people's reaction is is something that I've seen many many times, and and certainly a tremendous servant of the Lord. I I do love to see that, and uh, just a beautiful thing. But in closing, uh, I hate to bring this to a close, but. If I ask him another question, uh, this podcast will be over three so, hours. So sorry, <laughs> but uh, maybe too detailed. But <laughs> no, it was wonderful. I mean, you you will find people will share their testimonies of how much they they've loved this. They great thing about podcasts is you can stop and start. It's easy to use them. But so normally, what we do at this time, and we're going to do it again, is we ask you to uh, name somebody else that that we can uh, pull out and do this musings with the ministry now. Funny thing is, we've already recorded this once, and you asked to have Brother Bob Hedrick do it, and he's already done it. So I'm going to ask you for another name. Who who would you like to call out that we could do uh, one of these podcasts with for Musings of the Ministry? So I'm thinking that uh, I want to call out Aaron Moser um, to get to have this opportunity. 
um, to share some of his experiences with us. I think that would be really good. Excellent. Aaron Moser, somebody out there should let Aaron Moser know that he is next on the docket for one of these uh, talks. So, uh, Joel, I appreciate your time. Uh, it's been a, a real treat. I'm glad we got to do this twice now. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's fun to do it that way. Technology is fun. but uh, we, we appreciate the effort you guys make to get this done, and, and we think it's a, a great tool and just hope that it can be a blessing to God's people. Wonderful. Thank you, Brother Joel. I hope each and every one of you have an absolutely blessed day to remember our God and to serve our God with all your hearts, mind, soul, and strength. May God bless you.